Welcome to our annual review of the year, jecpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to the final Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast of 2021. Wayne Scott with you and you have joined us for our big annual review. And to join me doing the annual review, we have, well, a significant selection of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club team. Of course, the club that brings you this fantastic podcast. What a year it's been. Let's go through and relive it all with Tom Robinson. Hiya, Tom. Hi, Wayne. Uh, Also, we've got Andy Weber, who runs the events and sponsorship for the JEC. Hi, Andy. Good afternoon, Mr. Scott. Colin Porter's with us to talk about all things race championship. Hi, Wayne. Uh, we've also got the general manager, the boss man, Mr. Important himself, James Blackwell. Hiya, James. Hello, Wayne. How are you? <laughs> Very good, thanks. And, of course, a familiar voice in these parts, Richard West, who uh, has uh, left the Hall of Fame for this episode to look back on a fantastic year. Hiya, Richard. Mr. Scott, how the devil are you? Very good, thanks. Looking forward to reviewing the last 12 months that was. And so we begin... At the beginning, in January 2021, it was an, a weird time, an amazing time, and a worrying time, let's be honest, because when we came out of the Christmas break at the beginning of 2021, we were suddenly put into another national lockdown. We all had to stay at home, events had to be cancelled, regional meets for the car club uh, were not happening either, and we were all looking at the calendar just wondering whether any of the things we had planned for 2021 would actually be able to happen. Now, out of all difficulties, sometimes come opportunities, and the first opportunity presented itself with the AGM, the annual general meeting, which all clubs have to hold, and it's basically where all the volunteers who are important kind of get voted into position, and everyone gets to air their views, ask questions of those people who run the club. It sounds very formal, but actually it's quite a good do normally. This time, we had to hold it virtually, and that in itself presented a few challenges because you have to have all this voting going on everything else so we had to employ some uh, interesting technology james didn't we and it's fair to say everyone was a little bit nervous about it at the very beginning yeah uh, yeah some new technology and um, we obviously had to rely on you to help us uh, to, to guide through um yeah you'd have thought we'd all be used to it after a year the previous year of getting used to being on zoom and uh, doing all those the various meetings and seminars we've done online but um no it trying to actually do something that, you know, we, we do take quite seriously. It is an opportunity for all of our members to um, to have a voice and to uh, and to vote on matters. So, yeah, it, it always adds that bit of pressure when you're trying something new. Um, yeah. Well, we, we have got all used to Zoom, but, of course, that one was almost like a live broadcast, wasn't it? Because those of us who are presenting the AGM, we're in this sort of virtual green room, and then we were able to talk amongst ourselves. Then all of a sudden, at certain points, we would go live, and you were it was a weird feeling because you were broadcasting to, like, 300-odd people, and yet you were sat in your house staring at yourself on a laptop screen. It was really quite bizarre, wasn't it? It, it, it wasn't... <sighs> You know, for me, you know, you, we talk about things that happened throughout the year. I was sat in my in my bedroom. Um, family was downstairs. Obviously, this is a weekend, so um, you know, everyone was around. It was the usual chaos and mayhem, and it, and it had been lovely and quiet. And I was sitting there, and I was go, listening to all the uh, the reports going through and the adoption of the accounts, all of that. And uh, eventually, once the AGM finishes, it comes to my my point when I have to give my report on the year from the GM's point of view, and. Uh, 
I, you know, press start and off I am, you know, going through my script, which I find worked out and rehearsed many times. And at that point, my youngest son decides that that is the time to unleash hell on the house, storm <laughs> in and uh, and, uh, and have his. Thankfully, he didn't go into full on meltdown, but it was uh, it was just if it, it, it couldn't have happened at any other time other than that moment. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a it was a peculiar way of doing it. And again, you know, it, we have to look at it again this year as well. So um, hopefully. Uh, I'll, I might come into the office for this one I think <laughs> well it was one of those moments that you sometimes see on like news TV or breakfast TV where someone's kid runs in and ends up getting dragged out by the nanny that happened to a politician didn't it <laughs> I remember seeing it on the TV we had our own version of that uh, but out of adversity comes opportunity as I say and the great thing about that AGM for the first time ever was that we had loads of the overseas members joining us they were able to see who it is that runs the club and who the volunteers are, uh, who the directors are on the board, who I am, all that kind of stuff. It, it kind of felt like the the AGM and the club itself went more global as a result of being virtual, didn't it? It did. We are a global organisation. You know, we, we have members all over the world. So it was, as you say, it was a good opportunity to actually see some of those people. And we don't get the opportunity as much as we used to in the past or, um, or you know, or, or the fact just the way that the club operates. We, we don't get a chance to put a face name. So it's equally the same for us. You know, we don't get to necessarily see who our members are, who interact with us um, wherever they are in the world. So it was a good opportunity both ways. And uh yeah, in, in some respects, you know, if, if you're not quite up with technology, it was a shame that people couldn't make it that way. But it did open up another new audience for us and another way of getting people to to, to have their say and to, to be involved. It, it, yeah, a real a real bonus that, that aspect. Well, as you say, we'll be doing another virtual AGM this year. I obviously did too much of a good job at it last time because they've asked me to do it again. So uh, I'll try and figure out uh, something new to do this time. I, it's not like a stand-up gig or anything, <laughs> but uh, some, somehow it seemed to run smoothly. So we will do that again. You can find full details of the JC AGM via the news pages at jc.org.uk forward slash news very simple if you're a member to attend that all you have to do is fill out a very simple form you'll get the link sent through to you uh, also you can watch it back online as well via the members area of the jc website as january continued we heard from the brand new boss the new ceo at jlr thierry Bellori, on his future plans for the brand both for land rover and for jaguar and it was announced, of course, that Jaguar would be taking a purely electric stance for the future. That was the future, but looking back to the past, it became very clear that we had a full year of celebration that we had to fit in somehow when the lockdowns were eased. And that began, of course, with the realisation that 2021 marked 70 years since the very first Le Mans win from Jaguar with the C-Types in 1951. JLR marked this by announcing at the beginning of February that they were to uh, launch a brand new C-Type celebratory vehicle built by Jaguar Classic. This was the C-Type continuation models that Jaguar Classic announced at the beginning of February. That was to celebrate that anniversary. And then shortly after, of course, we had to go out and work out what on earth we were going to be doing with events. And Andy, about this time last year, or 
2020, the end of December, we were out at Blenheim Palace doing a photo shoot with all of the anniversary cars for 2021. The E-Type, of course, which was celebrating 60 years. The X-Type, celebrating 20 years. A brilliant modern classic within the Jaguar Enthusiast Club family. The XK8, celebrating 25 years since its launch. And, of course, 15 years since the launch of the X150. We took an example of each of those cars down to Blenheim Palace, had a fantastic photo shoot to promote the Summer Jaguar Festival. I remember we had to kind of cover up the fact that there were Christmas trees in the background at the time. And then by the time we got into the end of January, early February, the government then came along and announced their staged plan for easing lockdown restrictions. And it became very clear that Blenheim Palace, the Summer Jaguar Festival, due to be held in may was just not going to happen was it andy what was your thoughts at that point well i, I remember that that photo shoot at, at blenheim and i remember um a couple of the guys who were there who, who had bought the cars to have that photo shoot saying um oh uh you know you you, you think the event will be on and of course yes the event will be on you know everything will be over it'll be done and dusted by may we'll be fine yada yada and uh, and how wrong were, 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 was I? Um, yes, it 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 was a huge task to organise uh, Blenheim Palace, and a lot of the work had already been done by the time we got to February. And of course, it wasn't just Blenheim Palace, was it? It was all of the talks and the accommodation at Haythrop Hall down the way. Yes, all of it, all of it, and uh, and, and it, it's it's a massive task. A lot of it had been done. And of course, you get to this time then, this crunch point, where you have to uh, cancel um, Blenheim Palace and the whole event that was around Blenheim. Um, you have to untangle that. So you have to cancel the infrastructure, cancel all the contracts, and then start again with, uh, with kind of four months to go, um, doing everything again at a completely new venue where we've not been before, we've not used before, and everything is new. Um, and uh, to, to be honest, it's, it's a miracle that I'm still here, Wayne. Uh, <laughs> well, I know, know your hair's gone a little bit more grey since the it's beginning of this year. It's got a lot more grey, Wayne. You know, at least I've got some hair, but it is uh, it is a lot more grey, that's for sure. More silver now, I think, after, the, after that event. Um, I was lucky, you know, we had some great people uh, helping us on the working party um, of that event. Um, including uh, James, uh, Colin and Rich. Um, and occasionally you turned up as well, Wayne, which is always a bonus, of course. <laughs> um, um, and we started organising BISTA. And um, <clears throat> obviously, BISTA went really well in the end. I mean, it was a fantastic event. Talk us through how, how BISTA came forward as a venue then, Andy, because obviously it's, it's only down the road, really, from Blenheim Palace. What did BISTA offer us? that wasn't able to happen at Blenheim? And how did that deal come about? Well, basically, I had um, just a, a couple of days to find an, a new venue within the time frame that we, we could make work and not to clash with any other events uh, that were going on later on in the year. And as you can imagine, the calendar got very, very busy because everybody was doing the same. Um, so I had an idea about, about Bista. Um, we do have one of our volunteers, uh, Steve, who works there. Um, 
and we managed to find a date. And the great thing about Vista and the real benefit of it is it offered us um, the, 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 the small track that it's got, which meant that we could get cars out on track that wouldn't normally be seen going around and screeching tyres um, and, um, and accelerating uh, hard down, the, down the, the straight that they've got there. Um, and that worked really, really well. You know, throughout the whole day, we had so many Jaguars going around there, um, including XJ220s, uh, uh, the C-Type, uh, which was up the mall, um, and various other cars um, from members, uh, volunteers, and, and Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust as well. Uh, 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 and Eagle as well. Eagle were, were there, and obviously CMC as well. And it, it was just a fantastic day because we had that moving element um, of the show. And I'm very keen that we keep that moving element going forward. There was some uncertainty, wasn't there? And some almost nervousness, actually, about the fact that here we are announcing a big event. It, it was the 28th of February when we put out the notice on that. The world was still very uncertain. It was still months away. We didn't really know how this was going to play out. And yet, the members really rallied, didn't they? They pre-booked tickets, they signed themselves up, and it just gave us the confidence to be able to put that event on. It was the members that drove the demand for that, wasn't it? Oh, it certainly was. And, and, and you know, it's, it's a crazy situation to be in. And hats off to, to James, Cathy, uh, and Sophie um, for having to go through the refund process with all our members who had booked packages for Haythrop and Blenheim and then at the same time, start taking money for tickets for, for Bista. An absolutely crazy time in the office, which I'm sure James will, will, will testify to. Um, but it was the members that, that came out and they came out in force. And um, we shot past the, the 600 tickets, the 800 tickets, the 1,000 ticket barriers very, very quickly. Um which was which great for us, you know, it showed that there was a significant momentum there for, for people to come to an event and, and a real hunger for it as well. And then, James, there was that scary moment, wasn't there, when suddenly we realised that within the deep uh, lines of pages of text and rules and whatever of government restrictions, there was actually a cap on the number of people we were allowed to have at Bist Heritage. And all of a sudden, we had to just literally take the tickets down and and call it, declare it sold out, didn't we? We did. And, you know, <laughs> that was a really odd feeling, that was. It was a moment of, sort of celebration. You know, great. We were, uh, you know, we'd, we'd sold out of one of our events. That was absolutely outstanding, the numbers we're talking about. But also it was a real, a real shame in some respects because we'd have loved to have opened it up to even more people. And I'm sure the event would have been even, you know, even more well attended, even more Jaguars there than what they were. And, you know, I think, what, you know, Andy touched on it there, the, the, the initial untangling of the two events, because what was apparent is we couldn't just pick Blenheim up and drop it at Bista. They were two completely different events. And we now have only got three months to, to completely to, to organise a completely new event whilst unpicking the old one, which we'd already planned for. And he's already spoken about Sophie and Cathy. I mean, you know, two new, relatively new members of staff who'd never done a big festival before because they came in during, during lockdown. To then suddenly have to unpick it and go through the process of making sure all the refunds have been done, etc., and uh, and those, and then start taking on all those those new payments. And of course, we were working with the Jaguar Drivers Club, which meant we then had. 
two different payment systems as well that we had to try and bring into into one which which they did brilliantly but yeah that moment of realization when we found out that that cap on figures and that we were we were getting towards it at, at a very quick pace it wasn't just oh look yeah no we'll see how these ticket sales are going we were getting there very very quickly the closer we got to the event as well so it was a shame we had to make the decision but what a place to be in what a position and you mentioned something there actually that uh, is quite important for you guys in the office you know you had been through several lockdowns at this point this was lockdown number three i think uh, in January and February to start the year. And as you say, you had new members of staff. The team hadn't really worked in the offices together for some time by that point, had they? No, I mean, we, we talk about sort of the challenges you have to you have to face. And yeah, okay, there's systems in place, there's phones, there's emails, there's those kind of things, but the, there's no replacement, there's no substitute for being in the office all together, being able to talk through your problems, trying to, to actually show people how to deal with things as opposed to doing it remotely and, and, and that kind of thing. And of course, between Andy, Kathy and myself, you know, we've all got young families. So all of this is going on in the January, February time. And we've all got children in the background that are also not at school that we're, we're trying to help do remote learning with as well. And we've got partners off who are also working and stuff. And it's, it's an insanely stressful time for everybody involved. And, um, you know, I, I cannot, I cannot praise highly enough the people involved. It is a very, very small team. And to be able to get through it, you know, yes, there were, you know, there were tears and there were moments and, um, you know, but we, we've got through it. We've got through it and um, you know, we all know what the result was in the end. So, uh, yeah, that, it was a, a really good point to make in terms of that. The, the pressure that was on everybody involved in the organisation that in the event was, was immense at the time. I mean, talking of pressure, I can remember being on the phone to you and we're trying to have serious you know, business conversations and all of a sudden halfway through a conversation I have to break off and I'd hear you shout, you know, stop swinging on the furniture, put your sit down, get your colouring books out. And then having sorted Andy Weber out, you then had to go and sort your children out, didn't you? <laughs> 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 Many a true word spoken in chess. <laughs> Did you ever finish that colouring book, Andy? <laughs> And never got round to it, Wayne, no. <laughs> I was rudely interrupted by the boss. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, we laugh about it now, but they were seriously pressured times. I think not just for us here at the Jaguar Enthusiast Club, but I'm sure you guys listening at home would have felt pressure in your lives as well. It is something that we've all had to struggle through. Uh, at least we, at the end of it with the Jaguar Enthusiast Club, we're all doing something that we love. And I'm sure that's coming through on this podcast. This team really does have the passion for Jaguar, just like all of you listening at home. Well, it was a big news year really for Jaguar Classic as by the time we got into March, having got through all of that controversy, they then announced the uh, 60th anniversary tribute E-Type collection cars, which were simply stunning. And the press release images were one thing to see those cars in the flesh is quite another they were serious pieces of kit we saw them in march meanwhile over at the jaguar daimler heritage trust they started off in march by unveiling a new anniversary e-type exhibition at the british motor museum at gaydon and even there they included some real icons of jaguar's history including of course 
the wonderful E2A, the very first car seen racing at Le Mans. That kind of transition moment, really, between the Jaguar D-type of the race circuit and the Jaguar E-type of the road. Fantastic to see that on display in Gaydon. As the year continued, of course, we got ever closer to the beginning of the race championship season. And Colin, you must have had a very, very weird time that winter getting ready to prepare for some kind of season in 2021. You know, January and February, you really didn't know what was going to happen, how the race season was going to unfold. And certainly by the time the first race came along at Silverstone, you weren't even allowed spectators even then, were you? No, it was very challenging, Wayne. Um, you know, we, we we still had a lot of COVID restrictions in place, and um, you know, you, you couldn't do things like uh, you couldn't even go in the in the garages at Silverstone, even with the doors open at both ends, without you know wearing a mask and sanitising your hands. So, yeah, we, we tend to forget uh, because we've moved on uh, a little bit, you know, through the season and, and restrictions were lifted, that those things were still in place when we went racing at, at Silverstone. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, um, we, we, we had a, a good grid of cars, plenty of people out there, and um, it looked like it, you know, it was going to be a, a fantastic season at, at that point, and um, the sun was shining, uh, and un- unfortunately, um for, for Matthew Davis from um, Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust, who came racing with us this year, um, it, it didn't go quite uh, quite to plan. Um, unfortunately, his uh, his car burst into flames on the on the start line, and um, that was a strange start to the season, really. Certainly was. Uh, Matthew came onto this very podcast to describe his feelings uh, then when he saw his burning and charred XJR come off the grid at Silverstone. Um, Tom, you, you must have... What, I mean, what was running through your mind when you came round on lap two and saw the fire extinguishers going onto the car that Swallows have prepared for Matthew Davis there? You must have thought, <laughs> oh, no, not not now. <laughs> this is exactly it, because we, we actually we obviously started, uh, away we went, which I didn't get the best of starts, and uh, obviously it was pretty close uh, with James Ram. And as we came round to the next, uh, I think we made it down Hangar Straight, and by then we had the yellows, and then obviously they started to blow us down and as I come round to the start obviously I had no idea what had happened and when I come round at kind of a very low speed I could see the remains of a, a Capri and Matthew's car clearly on fire in full flames and I'm sort of thinking oh <laughs> um, that's the first time in any any races I've competed in that one I've seen a fire on track and it to be one of our cars and Matthew being his first ever race I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind that probably going to be uh, the end of him wanting to race again and uh, obviously I was extremely concerned with it being a car that we'd also compared but at the same time I knew that possibly by the next lap that we were going to be regridded and, and back to starting a race so I almost had to kind of that in the back of my mind uh, and focus on, on the job that has to be done as it were. Absolutely did you ever get to the bottom of what happened with the car? Yeah absolutely yeah to be honest with you it was um, one of those Air fluke moments but the actual fuel rail itself um had completely fractured um it broken three quarters of the way down the rail which is which is a, a cast metal um fabricated um fuel rail which is built by jaguar i guess um the only thing we've kind of bought back from it is it was an original rail um so obviously from this now with all of our cars we actually remachine a new one out of billet aluminium so we don't have any repeat issues um, but we can only assume vibration and fatigue and it, and it just cracked. Um, 
And obviously when he went to launch off the start, that's when that failed. So um, the engine would have rocked quite, quite harshly to one side. Um, he then went obviously to, to restart the car. And that's when we believe it then ignited, if that makes sense, when he literally pushed the start button, that's when the fire went. Then unfortunately, um, had, um, another dimension is they had the second race starting behind Matthew. Um, and unfortunately, they didn't see that the grid was clear and uh, another car then crashed into the back of him after it had fallen oh. fire. So um, he kind of had it from every angle, unfortunately, for his first ever race. <laughs> dear, oh dear. What a start to yeah. the season. This is, of course, ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Davis, who is the managing director of the Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust. And Tom, you have been preparing a car throughout the off season for him. It's we've spoken to him on this podcast about it. It's a culmination of a lifelong dream, really, isn't it, of him to go racing with Jaguars? And so yeah. you've made that dream a reality. And this is what swallows do. Aside from the racing that you've obviously shared with us here on this podcast, with your diary throughout the season, you do prepare at Swallows cars for other competitors on the grid, and interestingly, other competitors that you then have to go and race against. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a usual, unusual dimension being uh, racing against them as well. But yeah, absolutely, it's uh, it's becoming bigger and bigger part of the um, the Swallows brand, as it were. It's something that is, I guess, it's a hobby to us, Wayne. It's it's our kind of passion. Um, we absolutely love doing it around Jaguars, and it and it is growing. And uh, yeah, it was a car that we actually built quite a number of years ago that Matthew um, bought and purchased. Um, actually, phoned Swallows and said he was looking to get in, uh, into racing that we had a, another supercharged XJ for sale um, at the time I wasn't aware of his position within a Jagger Damer heritage and he just mentioned that he'd done lots of track days was looking to take the step into racing um, wanted to do that at a competitive club level and it to be sensible budgets and that car was was the perfect fit for him um, and then we then obviously took over the maintenance and prep for it and, and we we do quite a lot with Matthew we do track days um, with him over the close season and prepare the car ready for him to race in the championship and Colin, it's great to hear that story that Tom shared with us there, that he started with track days and that's what got his, his interest into racing. And that really is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why we do have an ever-growing programme of track days throughout the year within the JEC, isn't it? And of course, this year we had two fantastic fixtures, uh, one in June at Blyton Park that started us off and then one later on in the year at Castle Coombe. They are growing in popularity track days aren't they yeah they are indeed Wayne um one of the things we wanted to do with, with Blight and we, we we took on board a little bit of feedback that we had had from previous track days um, and we wanted to create something slightly different in quite quite a fairly safe track environment Blighton Park has uh, huge huge runoffs and um, so we wanted to create a, a, a track day for novices and uh, for people with, with classics. So it was a little bit of an, uh, an experiment um, at Blyton. Uh, and, and I think it was a, a success. I mean, one, one of the kind of highlights uh, for me for the year, and, and one of the things that I always get a real buzz out of is, is seeing novices going out on track for the first time. Um, because I, I remember when I went out on track for the first time, um, you know, it's it's about 25 years ago now, and uh, it, it was at Hethel, um, which is the Lotus Test Track, and uh, it was absolutely chucking it down with rain. Um, Hethel isn't the most ideal track um, to go out on for, for the first time. It doesn't have um, kind of uh, the same kind of service 
that a racetrack has. Um, it's, it's a Lotus test track. So you get slightly different um, changing surfaces at Hethel. And, um, uh, and, uh, and it's a very, very daunting thing um, and intimidating to go out on track for the first time. So get it, getting novices out on track always gives me a real buzz because, you know, I know that they will overcome that um, nervousness, if, if you like, about getting on track. And then once they've done that, then they experience the sheer joy um, and the pleasure of, of being able to get your own car out on a, on a track, you know. And uh, that's something that we did at Blyton. And, um, you know, we had a good number of novices again later in the year out at Council Coombe. Absolutely. That was a great event at Castle Coombe. One I remember looking at through bleary eyes because I just finished a round Britain run around the whole of the UK and turned up there. But instantly you get there, you can feel the adrenaline in the air at JEC Track Day events. And next year we're going to have even more of them as we get a little bit later on into this episode. Colin will be back to explain more about our new announcement that came in the November of 21. Of course, Track Sport will tell you more about that in just a moment but while we're on the subject of motorsport Richard the end of March saw some very sad news some surprising news really because as they say he was no age we lost Johnny Dumfries and you have memories of seeing Johnny around the racetracks during the late 80s early 90s and especially of course as part of that famous win for Jaguar in 1988 at Le Mans with the Silk Cut cars. I do indeed Wade and in fact going much further back than that I remember he was he, for a while he drove the spares van at Williams Grand Prix Engineering at the old facility under the power station that's no longer there in Sunny Didcot. Johnny was a remarkable guy and you know you and I talked about him on the podcast he he was very understated because as the Earl of Dumfries he was a titled gentleman you know with with wealth beyond most people's um, imagination but he was also related to Charlie Crichton Stewart who was part of that sort of rat pack of Frank Williams and Pierce Courage and Sheridan Thin, the former guy who ran commercial before I went to Williams, you know, back in the 90s. And Johnny was a real character, but he never used his title or, or his, his name or his fame in that respect to better his career in motor racing. He was hardworking. He had a very mischievous sense of fun. And if you talk to Ian Lammers and others and Andy Wallace, who drove alongside him in the past at various Group C and Le Mans events, they will always speak very fondly of him. And he was sadly taken at you know, a very young age, really, in his very, very early 60s. Um, and uh, a great loss to motorsport and a great loss to the people and the, and the teammates who knew him. Just something I should add to Tom Robinson's comment earlier as well. And you, James touched upon it earlier, you know, the, the volunteer force. Motor racing wouldn't exist or track days wouldn't exist of course without the marshals the men and women who give tirelessly of their time and in the same way you know you mentioned steve steve daniels of the south oxfordshire region at vista heritage we rely very heavily on these people in all areas of what we do be it one of our big events in the summer or indeed the track days and in fact matthew's car was very quickly extinguished by the marshals at Silverstone. They safely moved the car away. And as Tom said, for those of you who don't follow motor racing, Tom came around and said he saw the yellows. What he's referring to there is the wave yellow flags, which indicate an incident. But those marshals and those volunteers 
are an essential part and many of the world's top drivers and Johnny I know I remember back to his time in Formula One with Lotus driving alongside Ayrton Senna and also his time in Jaguar Johnny would always make time to go out and talk to those marshals and from the JEC to any of the marshals that may be listening out there your efforts are very very much appreciated because without you guys we wouldn't and girls we wouldn't be doing our track days and we certainly wouldn't be doing our motorsport absolutely and that goes for all of the people who come on this podcast and share their stories as well and we've had some amazing stories here <laughs> on the jc podcast throughout the last 12 months all of whom are from the jaguar family uh, they're not paid to be on this show they're not here to uh, sell things most of the time unless they're andy webber's mates then usually they've got something <laughs> to sell uh, but uh, it's just an opportunity for people to come together share their stories and like all volunteers do, share their passion for Jaguars as part of this global family that we're all a part of. And that, whilst uh, we're on that subject, Wayne, um, am I able to mention my sponsors yet? Well, I, I thought no. you wouldn't have to at some point, uh, Andy, but uh, there are plenty of them. But perhaps we can mention them in terms of the highlights of what, of course, did happen on the 4th of July because we finally stumbled our way through the summer, early summer months. Finally, the government lockdown restrictions were eased as they were promised and on timetable and everyone breathed a sigh of relief in June when finally the lockdowns were released and events could go ahead. The tickets we'd sold for Bista Heritage were able to uh, be sent out to those lucky people able to come. And on the 4th of July, across the land, across the nation, garage doors were flung wide. Jaguars were started for the first time in months and at last we all got to come together finally at Bista Heritage for the Summer Jaguar Festival. That feeling Sunday morning was amazing, wasn't it, Andy? I, 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 I'm not sure I'd use the term amazing because I was up at, well, I was up basically all night, but I think I, I was there at about quarter to five in the morning um, setting up and it was drizzling with rain um, and I was in my usual grumpy morning mode um i looked at the skies and i could just see more rain more rain and more rain uh the security guard had had enough he'd fallen asleep so i wasn't happy about that um and i think it was up it was a about half past three in the afternoon when i thought it's amazing well done we've done we've had a great day <laughs> you know, i could relax slightly then um but no it was it was Wayne it was you are exactly right it was, you know 1700 cars nearly 4000 people um all our sponsors turning up um SNG Barrett with their massive uh, marquee um TP uh, arrangement which was absolutely fantastic everybody taking the cars out on track and um you know and, and a great selection of E types XKs X types all the anniversary models and, and Jaguars, as far as the eye could see. I actually heard a rumour that you were grumpy at five o'clock in the morning because you didn't get out of the Wrinkly Monkey Brewery until 1.30. Is there any truth in that rumour, Mr Weber? I have no comment at all about that, Mr Weber. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, probably change the word out amazing and replace it with hungover, I think is more accurate. <laughs> Uh, all credit to you mate you managed to do your day as well yes he did yeah. indeed uh, supported we have to say by as we mentioned a huge team of volunteers and the Oxfordshire region led by Stephen Daniels really did come through on that event didn't they they did I mean it it, it really does take an army of of uh, volunteers uh, to marshal an event like that particularly when you've got 1700 cars 
parked across a huge space at Bicester. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the, the Oxfordshire region were absolutely fantastic. Um, we really, really needed them. Um, alongside, you know, our own team of people. And, you know, you ask Wayne for, for the heroes um, of, 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 of this year. And I have to, I have to mention uh, Michael Manconi and Colin Manconi um, because they really did uh, help me tremendously uh, in the run-up to the event, but at the event itself. Um, and we were, we were all there on the Monday morning me, Colin, uh, Mike, James, um, de-rigging um, everything. Uh, and bless him, you know, C Colin was was Colin. And that's what he did at events. He didn't think anything of it. He just did it. Um, and I would just like to uh, to give a shout out to Colin for, for everything that he did at Bista. Absolutely. Well, it was a busy event for me as well because uh, Andy didn't see any of this because he was too busy flapping and uh, dealing with hangovers. But uh, we actually had, is it the largest stage, mobile stage in the UK? Well, Mr. Scott, I mean, you know, when you told me that you wanted to be up on stage and you wanted to do some interviews and all the rest of it with the, uh, the VIPs that you had, uh, the only thing I could do, Wayne, was supply you with the biggest portable stage and TV in the UK. So I did. And, and obviously you're worthy of it, Mr. Scott. <laughs> well, we'd had a great time, actually, and we had some fantastic interviews. Uh, the day started interviewing Peter Leake. Of course, you can hear all of these interviews on this very podcast at jcpodcast.co.uk. Just look back through the episodes. You'll find these interviews recorded from that live stage here. Uh, we started with Peter Leake, who, of course, worked for Jaguar throughout those late 80s, early 90s years. We then spoke to Sir John Egan, the man who rescued Jaguar during the 1970s, who gave us some fascinating insights into how Jaguar was wrestled from the grip of British Leyland, um, made a success as an independent company, and then, of course, sold to Ford in the early 1990s. Don't miss that interview. If you don't know what I'm talking about, either listen to the audio version on this podcast or you can go onto the Jaguar Enthusiast Club YouTube channel and watch it in video there as well. They were all filmed. We also had our star guest at the Summer Jaguar Festival. He is a Jaguar fan. He owns a very, very early car, actually a swallow-bodied Wolseley Hornet, uh, one of the few left in the world, uh, the very first six-cylinder engine that Jaguar arguably produced. He was with us. Kevin McLeod from Grand Designs, Channel 4, of course. And he also chose some of our concourse entrants as well. And we had David Marks, our technical man here at the JEC. Amazing characters and amazing VIPs, really, for the Summer Jaguar Festival at uh, Bista Heritage. And as I say, you can watch all of those interviews on our YouTube channel. And those concourse entrants, Andy, that we announced and gave trophies to, then went on to Salon Privé. Well, the Jaguar E-Type winner man did, didn't he? He went on to Salon Privé in September. He did indeed, yeah. And I know that uh, there was a tremendous amount of work put into that car to get it ready for Bista. Um and I think the owner was quite glad that we had to we had to push back Blenheim a, little, a couple of months so that he had a bit more time. Um, but it, it, it's a fantastic car. It was well worthy of going to Salon Privé where it got second um, in in a very high class uh, as you were, as you would imagine from Salon Privé uh, a very high class feel. Um, and the car was at uh, was at our stand at the NEC as well. 
Um, so yes, the, the, the concourse competition was indeed a, a very big competition this year. Richard, your highlights from the Summer Jaguar Festival? I think for me, Wayne, apart from the, you know, all joking aside about everybody and working late and having a few beers and things, the reality is James summed it up so well at the beginning of this chat when he said people work so hard and Andy and his team, you, Steve Daniels, Colin Manconi, we've mentioned some of the people there, Colin sadly no longer with us having succumbed to an illness um, just a few, a couple of weeks ago. But really the highlight for me was getting there and seeing this fantastic array of cars spread out but it was more than a car show because the the track experience that everybody had worked so hard to put on those cars to which um, andy was referring earlier there was a constant queue there was a constant noise in the background there was that wonderful moment when the twrxjs etc winning uh, Tom Walkinshaw car was fired up and literally probably upset everybody's early morning in the housing estate opposite Vista Village. But it was just a remarkable event to be to, uh, be at. And in fact, I had a couple of guests, VIP guests there, one of whom, Mitchell Orchant, who's the head of a very successful cigar import business, which Andy and I love to partake of his products occasionally. Um, he said to me, do you know what? He said, I go to three, four big car events a year. And he says, this is one of the best I've ever been to. And that made me feel very proud of everybody because truly, you know, that morning when we all got up so early, I remember driving down from uh, Hayesrock and it was absolutely lashing down. And I thought, oh no, please. And then the sun came out and it just made such a joyous event. And there was a lot of people there who probably were new to the JEC and new to the type of events that we put on. And the sound in the background, the fact that you managed to capture a guy who was standing with his hands in his anorak pockets, just looking at D-type Wayne. That was he C-type. just jumped out of, yeah. That's right. And he stood there looking at it and, and you just happened to go up to him and talk to him. And he was one of the guys who, when he was in his teens, actually worked on the original race cars up at the race factory. And it, it draws out those types of individuals. And the interview with Sir John and Kevin's comments... And I think, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot offline, but we're doing something about it now, a la the recent interview with Joe Ramirez, the ex-Formula One and everything motorsport coordinator. Within the JEC, it's almost a duty of us to use those events to capture the words and images of those people so that we've got them for posterity into the future. And that that event brought together young, old, different motorsport fans, non-car fans, everybody in one glorious place. And I do certainly hope, Andy, in the future we'll be going back to Bista Heritage and being able to use those phenomenal facilities once again. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just having the track was brilliant. And you, you talk about the TWRXJS which we got from uh, Jack Damon Heritage Trust, but the crowds that that car attracted mm. uh, when it was started up um, and taken around uh, for for a few good uh, good hot laps, that was absolutely uh, just that was probably one of my best memories of the day. You know, um, everybody loved it. Very rarely do people see that car, let alone see it out on track. No, indeed. And in fact, talking to Martin Brundle last year, we're going back a long way now, but when we interviewed Martin and Wayne produced you know, a two-part show with Martin Brundle talking about his time driving that car, that was not an easy race car to drive, a big, heavy V12. And uh, hopefully in the future, you know, and this is an ambition of mine, and Tom and I have talked about it, it would be lovely if we could convince JDHT to actually let Tom have the experience of driving some of those cars under, and I use the expression controlled circumstances because of their rarity and value. But it would be great to get a modern day driver's view because Brundle said, you know, that was a car you had to be on top of, otherwise it, it got away with you. And uh, 
Ian Walkinshaw and other great drivers, Wynn Percy and people like that who piloted those cars. They are an essential part of making sure that we continue through Wayne's brilliant efforts to record their comments and their thoughts about the eras in which they drove those race cars. I, I think that's a great point, Rich. But unfortunately, you know, I think it would be great for, for people like uh, Tom Robinson to, to drive those cars. Unfortunately, Tony Merigold and Matt Davis have both seen Tom drive and slide the cars around the corners, uh, slide his own car around the corners. So I'm not sure that they'd go for that one, Rich. No, nah, that's jealousy, mate. They've only ever seen his taillights. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, Andy, I think they'd be far safer in my hands. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, we are getting dangerous. <laughs> okay, before a punch-up ensues, I think we need to move on to the next event that was the highlight in our calendar for 2021. And actually, that was Silverstone Classic, and we were a little a bit unsure as to whether this was going to go ahead, but go ahead it did. In the last weekend of July, and it really was Jaguar taking centre stage because not only was there a big E-Type procession to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the E-Type at Silverstone Classic, but also there was some very, very uh, famous drivers taking to the wheels of very, very famous E-Types in a exclusive E-Type only race. And you'd think, how many E-Types could you get on a grid? on a quite damp day in July, well, probably, I don't know, 10, 50, maybe 20. They got nearly 60 E-types together to race. And on the Sunday morning, the rain was torrential. I've never seen so many E-types, E-types not only just sideways, but going off into the distance in like skittles. They were sliding off all over the place. Amazing thing to watch. Uh, of course, Martin Brundle, we just mentioned, was racing an E-type with his son, Alex. Also... Uh, there was the big 60th anniversary catwalk display that we saw as well. and it, But it wasn't just about the E-types. Uh, there was another anniversary that I guess you have to be kind of in the know to understand the significance of, Richard, don't you? But it was another TWR story. It was the anniversary of the XJR-15s doing the Interne Intercontinental Challenge Cup. Remind us what that was all about. Yeah, it was a remarkable period in, in TWR Jaguar's history. Um, Tom's organisation, Tom Walkinshaw's organisation, had been heavily involved in the production of the XJ220, uh, that iconic car, you know, which today is, is leaping up in value. Uh, behind, Tom was a very clever guy, and we've talked about this before, and at the Castlecombe track day, you and I were very fortunate with Andrew Maynard to have his... Well, in actual fact, I kept referring to Andrew's car as XJR15. There were actually 50 XJR15 carbon fibre V12 cars built. But at the head and the close of the programme, there were two cars that were designated R9. And Andrew Maynard, uh, a very generous man with his time and the use of his car, came along to our track day. And whilst we talk a lot about the XJR15, that two-seater V12 high-performance carbon fibre supercar. James, uh, Andrew's car is actually uh, R9, the original development car that TWR had. And behind the shadow of the XJ220, Tom and Andy Morrison and Eddie Hinckley and a group of very well-known individuals within the TWR empire went off, designed with Peter Stevens, who also was conceived, conceived the shape of the McLaren F1 three-seater road car. They were away in one of the buildings at Kidlington and they built this supercar of which Andrew Maynard is one of the proud owners. 
in order for us to get it past Jaguar, because yours truly, unfortunately, leaked a photograph all those years ago into the, I think it was Autocar magazine, who'd done me a favour many times in the past as a PR man. And I leaked a photograph, but unfortunately, I failed to spot that it had the R9 badge on it as opposed to XJR15. And we had to come clean with Jaguar and tell them that we'd been building this car with a V12 in behind the scenes. And in order for Jaguar to give us their seal of approval and let us do it, it came out under the Jaguar Sport brand, uh, the brand that built so many lovely road cars, XJSs and saloon cars, four litres and V12s, you know, from a game of a separate building at Kidlington. Uh, it was launched as an intercontinental race challenge and Tom and myself and Andy, um, uh, Andy King, who was my number two in those days, went along to see Bernie Eccleston and Tom negotiated a deal with him where the cars would race in three races at Spa, Silverstone and Monte Carlo as support races to the Grand Prix with the final race at Spa being held for a prize purse of $1 million, which was, you know, pretty impressive stuff in the 90s. And those wonderful cars were taken onto the racetrack and the number of them, you know, lost bodywork and some of them were crashed quite heavily. But now, of course, they've been restored. And as you were referring to Silverstone Classic, a number of those cars from their owners turned up there and did demonstration laps. Uh, they also did the same at the Goodwood event earlier this year and those cars are now commanding remarkable price tags we sold them at twr for the unheard of sum at the time of half a million pounds each but i'm told that they're now worth multiples of that number and of course those people who are fortunate enough to own them own a remarkable part of the twr jaguar sport and jaguar heritage in the fact that they are the v12 version of perhaps what the 220 should have been which was released with a v6 twin turbo engine in place of the legendary v12 which was the engine that powered jaguar to the 88 and the 90 le mans and daytona wins emotions in motorsport were running high by the time the end of august came because of course tom you were flat out trying to keep ahead of the championship so by the time the end of august came where were you i know you'd had a few problems with the car at this point with temperature senders and exhaust issues and that kind of thing but yeah. as you get towards september did you did you feel like you're in with a sniff of the win in the jaguar enthusiast club race championship yeah, well, we, we came out to a really good, um, strong start at Silverstone, and we had a back-to-back -back win there, which was just a, an absolute cracking start to the season. So that kind of set us up to move forward. But as you said, at Donington, we, we had uh, um, some car issues with some temp sensors, um, which was, wasn't ideal. Um, and unfortunately, we had a, actually a DNF there, which, which wasn't ideal. But as we sort of started to then gain momentum, we then, in July, um, which was when the actual uh, Jaguar event was, um, we were at our home circuit at Castle Coombe and we had an absolute blinding result there. It's probably my highlight of the season at Castle Coombe being my home circuit. Um, and then, yeah, we, from there onwards, we then had bands. Um, unfortunately, that was uh, the event with the, the sad loss of, of the Marshal. So it was a bit of a, an unusual weekend, that one. But we did um, uh, end up with a podium and we were gaining momentum to win overall. But unfortunately, with the... the kind of two DNFs that we had um, and the overall wins from uh, Mr. Seaborn in his class, we were getting very close and it was all down to the wire basically at Mallory Park. Um, unfortunately, we didn't end up with the overall win, but we did end up with a class championship, which is an absolute brilliant result for us this year. And Colin, by this point, of course, spectators were allowed back to see all this action unfolding, weren't they? Yeah, you know, and it was great to see them uh, back in you know there's a, there's a couple of circuits that we always um, went you know I, I take a wander around the circuits and, and the car parks and all sorts of things 
when I'm at race meetings. And, um, you know, you, you see a disproportionate number of Jaguars um, in, the, in the car parks. And, and you know that there's a, there's a good number of people, um, you know, that are members of ours that, that like to get out and, and see, the, see the cars racing. So it's always good to, always good to see them, you know, and, and we, we talk um, quite a bit about the championship, but obviously uh, we, we had the, uh, the Hawthorne challenge and um, Mark 1s and Mark 2s out. And uh, at Alton Park earlier this year, we, we had, we had a, a fantastic meeting with the Vintage Sports Car Club who run some, some, some great events. And um, uh, the Mark 1s and Mark 2s were, were there in force and, and the, the, the car parks were full, you know, packed with Jaguars. And, um, you know, it, it's like Richard was saying, you know, that connection with racing and, and Jaguars, you know, it's in the DNA of every Jaguar uh, motorsport. And um, I'm always reminded at these races that that's the fact. Well, it was that passion and that excitement that taking Jaguars out on track gives us here in the Jaguar Enthusiast Club family is what gave rise to a brand new event, actually, in August. And... I think it came from a conversation between you and I, James, where you were sort of saying to me, well, what, what else can we do that's a bit more accessible, a bit more grassroots, very cheap, that we can turn into a kind of a breakfast meet? And I came up with one of my favourite venues in the country because I've competed there myself, Harewood Speed Hill Climb in North Yorkshire. It is one of the oldest, not the oldest, but one of the oldest, but certainly the longest hill climb track in the uk and i wondered hmm, what would happen if we took jaguars there and amazing really that uh, the guys at harewood hill climb the motor club there actually own the hill so it enables them to allow access for clubs like the jaguar enthusiast club to take our cars down there and they were brilliant from the very beginning weren't they james in organizing that they were and um i <laughs> It, it was one of the strangest feelings I've ever, I've ever done in terms of helping to organise an event. And, um, you know, we go back to the start, what you said there about accessibility and grassroots. It's it's something that we, we look at a lot within the club is, is, you know, how can we get more people involved? What are, You know, what are the barriers? What, what are stopping people to do this kind of kind of thing? And you know, track day is a great amount of fun. And a great, but that, that comes at a price. And hill climbs are a really simple way to just enjoy stretching your car's legs and um, for, for not a lot of money. And um, But the thing I found really odd about that event was trying to organise and plan an event in a venue I'd never seen before. I didn't see it, but the first the first time I saw it was when I was turning up on the the Friday to to start setting up. So that that was a really odd one to do. But again, you know, they were brilliant to help organise it on the phone. And um, yeah, when when I turned up there on the Friday morning, I was a little bit ahead of of the rest of the guys because they were um, helping to organise the raffle car and that. And um, I turned up and wow, what a view. That is a spectacular track, that is, isn't it? What a view from the top. It is lovely, a lovely setting. And it's lovely because even if you're not there to do the racing, it's just nice to sit on that hill with a picnic and just watch everyone else having fun, really. As you say, you can watch a look across the Wharf Valley there, the River Wharf in the distance, and beautiful Yorkshire Dales just on the doorstep. Uh, none of which really to be honest on the sunday morning that we were there you could see because it rained 
and it rained some more, and then it rained on top of the rain that we'd had before that. I mean, it was wet, wasn't it? <laughs> I was I was just going to say, Wayne, I never saw any of those views, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're wonderful, but me, me and James never saw any of that. <laughs> well, there was, there was a brief break in the cloud around lunchtime, I recall. Uh, it was brief, but it was just long enough for me to get out on track and break my car. So I do know that it did stop raining for a little time. And of course, we had that amazing uh, Group B rally car, the Audi with us as well, which really drew the crowds. But mainly the interest and the excitement was from the members getting out there and despite the weather, taking their Jaguars out on track. It was an amazing sight, wasn't it? It wasn't. It, it, it's. It was almost like a childlike excitement because a you've got you know you, you've got we haven't long opened up you know we talk about Bista and the feeling and the atmosphere at Bista was palpable. People being get out to get out and just talk to each other. That hum of of people out conversing face to face was you know it, it was astonishing. That continued at Harewood. It was exactly the same and. The second people started realising they could go down the hill and, you know, we had a few spaces spare for them to go, you could almost see them sort of skipping back to go and pay their money and get in the car and get in the queue. And, um, you know, every single person, you know, was coming out with a big grin on their face and and a big smile. And um, I was on the the top of the the track for a short while, just sort of helping marshal the cars, sort of keep them spaced out a bit so they could go down to the the starting section. And... um, it was brilliant. People would, it was just really nice to speak to people. They were happy. They were enjoying it. They were enjoying being out and just being able to, to use their cars and just be together. And uh, I have to give a shout out to the guy that turned up. I forget his name now. I do apologize if you're listening, but you are a hero. We need to recognize the heroes of 2021. One of my heroes of 2021 was a very nice chap who turned up in the hammering rain, but it didn't bother him because he was taking his 1960s Jaguar S type up the hill regardless i don't think he ever came off the hill uh you bought runs in batches of four i think it was and he just kept coming back and buying more and more and more and more for the rest of the day (laughs) and he was out all day in the hammering rain in that 60s s type and it really shot up that hill not a natural car you would pick as a track day car i would have thought but it looked brilliant the s type the three the 3.8 s type is is the car that's responsible for my love of jank because that was the car that my dad had and uh, that started the love and we, we spoke about that car a lot on the day and I still remember it it was it was green it'd certainly been uh, been played with a little bit and it was it was more than capable of that hill wasn't it it certainly was and I've decided that my next Jaguar needs to be an S-type decision made all you need to do now is go home and explain that to your lovely lady I'm sure she'll have a view on that <laughs> Well, yes. There were a few heroes that day, Wayne. Um, I, I went, I went out in the in the Swallows um, Palmer XKR, and queuing up in front of me uh, in a black Mark Ten was an entire family, and um, it uh, it looked like they were on their on their on their Sunday outing. Oh, yes. And I think it had been dry. They would have pulled up and pulled out the picnic rug. Um, <laughs> But off they went off the line, wheel spinning with the entire family in, in the car. And it was an amazing sight. Yes, yes. Harewood Hill Climb nearly wasn't big enough. They'd nearly crossed the finish line before they'd left the start line. That car was huge and looked massive out on track as well. But you see, it just shows you that if you've got a Jaguar, if you're a member of the club, you can come and have fun in anything. And that just goes to prove it, doesn't it? A Mark 10 on a hill climb day. Brilliant. 
As we went through the rest of the year, we started to realise that track days were going to be ever more popular for our club. Uh, Of course, the 4th of October was the final track day of the year at Castle Coombe. And Colin, Castle Coombe is always a really popular venue for us, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we've been doing track days at Castle Coombe for for many, many years and something that Terry Dye started and... um, did very, very successfully. And really, we've, we've built on what Terry did over the years um, by, you know, a- adding some hero cars um, like um, the XJR15 that, that came along and uh, having some some fantastic cars on display the year before Grant Williams um, brought along Jag 400. And, um, you know, we, we had some some cars like that. And, and we continue to, to build it. And um, more and more people, um, you know, come along not only uh, to take their cars on track, but to uh, enjoy the day. Uh, I think we had two over 200 people uh, at the track day this year. And we had uh, 75 um, drivers out on track in in uh, 50 odd different cars. So, you know, it, it's a really, really good event. We get great support from Castle Coombe. Um, they let us do things like um, some, of, some of the media things that um, you, yourself and a couple of other media people did at, at lunchtime. And, um, you know, Castle Coombe give us great, great support um, for that track day. And um, everybody has, has a really, really good day. And, um, you know, th- this year we've got it booked again for the 4th of October. So we're really, really looking forward to that. Um, you know, one of the one of the things, one of the uh, the great memories that I have of Casa Coombe Track Day this year, and and very sadly, you know, we, we lost our chairman Ray very recently, and and Ray had just really um, got into doing track days, started enjoying track days, and he he had been out on on track for about the second or third time that day, and he came in and he had the most enormous grin on his face. And uh, I said to him, you, you, you're getting it, aren't you? I said, it's, it's starting, to, starting to hook up. And um, he, he, just, he just smiled and he said, yeah, I, I think I've got it now, Colin. No, I understand what it's all about. And for me, um, you know, that's going to be a lasting memory of, of Ray, you know, and, and I'm so pleased that I managed to, uh you know get him involved with with track days and and get him interested in them yeah absolutely it's been a a year of some great highs and some incredible lows to be honest we'll talk about a couple of those in just a second but meanwhile the castle coombe track day that colin mentioned there was well a miracle in itself and the fact that we were in the middle of a fuel crisis at the time getting petrol at that time was actually quite difficult Uh, luckily we did manage to go ahead but of course that came in the wake of e10 arriving at petrol pumps up and down the uk and there was lots of concern amongst drivers of older jaguars that uh, the petrol would be causing issues and problems with Jaguar fuel systems. Luckily, we had the FBHVC on hand to make sure that we had the technical advice from their fuel specialist to uh, work out exactly how we were going to keep Jaguars 
on the road through the changing fuels and also that actually there wasn't too much to worry about there's some simple steps we can all do to make sure our jaguars run both on e10 and e5 and you can see all the details of that on the news pages of the jc website jc.org.uk we even had nigel elliott on this very podcast from the federation talking about how we as jaguar owners can continue to use our cars and to limit any problems that ethanol content in fuel is to bring us over the coming years the federation of course have enshrined in law the um provision of e5 or protection grade fuel as it's called uh, super unleaded if you like uh, for some other brands that call it that uh, for the next five years so we've got five years of e5 uh, to make sure that those cars can run without any problems but all the details there on jc.org.uk also just, over it just 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 on that note wing um we do have the shell scheme don't we for uh for the uh, the V power, well, for both fuel, but uh, you talk about fuel. Obviously, there is a slight discount on V power. Yeah, of course, because one of the concerns amongst Jaguar owners has been not just that E5 or E10 has uh, been in short supply in places, but where to get it from, but also the fact that we do have to pay a little bit more money for it. It is more expensive at the pumps than E10, but that Shell fuel card actually helps offset some of that cost, doesn't it? It does indeed, and um, we launched it in uh, February this year. It's one of the big uh, successes of the year, um, and we've now got uh, well over 500 uh, active accounts uh, with with members using it on a weekly basis. So, uh, yeah, big success for us this year. So get yourself signed up to the Shell Fuel Card if you haven't done so already. If you find yourself spending more on fuel because you are having to buy E5 or protection-grade fuels, it's very easy to find out how you can sign up to this, actually. Just go to jec.org.uk. On the homepage there, you'll see the menu option, Shell Fuel Card. Click on that. All the details are there. It's app-based on a mobile phone, but it also has a physical card to it as well. You'll see all the details there, jec.org.uk. Click on the Shell Fuel Card menu option and read all about it there. That will help you save some money on E5 and the protection-grade fuels at Shell stations up and down the UK. Well worth doing. Well worth doing. Meanwhile, over at JLR, they were giving some facelifts to some of the models that are just having their sort of five-year run-out period at the moment. That is, of course, the F-Type R and the I-Pace got black editions towards the end of this year. And then as we headed towards the tail end of 2021, the Department for Transport unveiled their new legislation consultation document. It was their statement of the Future of Transport Regulatory Review and there were some surprises within it, mainly around the fact that what it appeared to do at first glance was to outlaw the modifications to vehicles. That's all vehicles and all modifications. Now, we know that, especially on older Jaguars, some of you might have fitted electronic ignition. Some of you may have fitted Webbers where once they were SUs. Some of you may have fitted disc brakes where once they were drums. All of those modifications look set to get wrapped up in this. So as the JEC, we went and asked the Federation of British Historic Vehicle Clubs for help. They responded by tackling the DFT with a position statement on that Future of Transport Regulatory Review. They actually got some of the consultation document changed so that it exempted historic vehicles and in fact any vehicles that had already been in production this is squarely based now 
on the future of transport, future vehicles. And actually, what became clear from the conversations with DFT is that actually it's aimed at making sure no one tampers with autonomous vehicles in the future. Because as you can imagine, when a car is driving itself and you start putting in different ECU maps, that's probably not a good idea for all of our safety. So uh, you can read all the details on that as well on the news pages at jc.org.uk. And we come to the tail end of the year, and I think it's safe to say all of us guys have been knocked for six with the events of the last couple of months. First, we lost, we've mentioned him in this podcast numerous times. That's because he was not only just a hero of 2021 and the events team in 2021, he's been a hero of the JEC for over 30 years. One of the very early members of this club was a chairman of his local uh, South Wales region as well. Andy, you probably knew him the best, Colin Manconi this year, who he lost after a short illness. He'll be sorely missed, won't he? I've known Colin for, for many years now, since I joined the, the Jaguar club uh, in 2011. Um and he's always been there for me, um, whether it be buying cars, telling me to walk away from not buying certain cars, giving me uh, helpful advice just uh, on life in general. Um, I had a tremendous amount of respect for, for Colin. Um, you know, he was he was almost like a father figure in the Jaguar world for me. And it's a huge loss. Uh, not only to myself, but for the club, because he was always there at events and he would help us for days on end. He would he would design uh, stands for us. He'd build stands for us. Um, and it's a huge, huge loss, a massive gap to fill. He was also one of those personalities that at the lowest ebb, at your most tired, at the latest hour of the day always seem to manage to say or do something that would have you all in stitches and all laughing and that was that was the quality he brought to an events team he just got the he just got everyone happy didn't he really often at my expense wing yes to be fair he did he did he did I have to tell you, Wayne, there's a brilliant story with Colin, which is it will always stick with me. And like Andy, I've only known him the last couple of years. But when we got to Bicester on the Sunday morning, very, very early, Andy was there, you know, wandering around doing his thing. And all these beautiful E-types from CMC and everybody were parked in the big hangar. And Mike Mancone, Colin's son, was there, you know, director of the JEC, was there putting up the, the, the display stand. And Colin said, Westy, he said, have you got five minutes? I said, yeah, what's that? He said... See all those E-types over there? He said, they've, uh, they've given me permission to move them all out on the grass. Do you mind if we move a few out? And I said, no, I'll give you a hand, mate. Anyway, I said, where are the keys? He said, oh, they'll be under the mat or something. You know, there was just hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of E-types. Anyway, I picked this particular silver E-type and um, the chap, I don't know who he was to this day, walked past. He said, it's a bit special, that car, Mr. West. He said, um, you've got to lift the Jaguar emblem in the middle of the dashboard and there's like a race car starter button. He said, you don't need any keys, just press that. So I sort of started to, and being, those of you who know me on the outside world, I'm six foot and a hundred kilos, so I'm quite a big old lump. So I tried to get into this E-type and I put my hand down underneath to try and alter the seat position and the seat was bolted through the floor and I thought, I really can't let this beat me. And Colin was watching this with great interest. And with that, I put my hand on the roof and the top of the door and I slid myself in. Well, that was great. And I pressed the button and it started up and I drove out on the grass. And then, of course, I tried to get out. I couldn't. I was stuck sat in an E-type and Colin started to laugh and he looked at me he said 
I hope you've got your checkbook, Westy. It looks like you've bought it now. And with that, the two of us just completely dissolved. And uh, he and another guy who shall remain nameless grabbed me and sort of pulled me out very unceremoniously, like trying to get a big jelly out of a small mould. But uh, Colin and I laughed about it afterwards. And he was that sort of guy that, despite being a hugely successful businessman in his time and hugely committed to the club, he would get his hands dirty at the soonest opportunity. And uh, as Andy says, he's going to be very sadly missed by his friends and his family. We, we miss him dearly. He sure will, as we will also miss Ray Searles, our chairman, who had appeared on this podcast numerous times. We just about processed the information that our dear team member Colin Manconi had left us when all of a sudden and quite out of the blue in quite a shocking way we learned that the chairman of the Jag Enthusiast Club had passed away and James he was with the team literally hours before wasn't he on that day that that really odd day yeah I've got to be honest I still find it quite difficult to process really in that respect but yeah he'd, he'd been there in the morning he'd it borrowed the uh, the club sport break uh, the weekend before we'd done the handover to the uh, to the, the winner of the raffle car and um, we'd brought his his uh, his ex KRS which we were just speaking about in the podcast which is enjoying track days with and uh, we brought that down here and he'd taken the sport break off for a few days and um, and then he'd drive it down on the Thursday um, so we 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 have we're having a meeting in the office to you know to talk about our objectives and our plans for for 2022 going forward and. Uh, the thing I sort of remember most about Ray was he'd really grown into the role of being chairman and um, and the club, and he he had time for everybody. So you know he'd he'd gone upstairs and and said goodbye to to Kathy and Sophie and uh, and uh, Kathy and him were talking about the come dancing and uh, who was going to win. And Sophie and I were both looking blank faced. In fairness, we have no idea what the, that was all about. And uh, yeah, you know, he, he had a good chat with them. Both wished them all, you know, the best for the for the year and the the, the festive uh, time. And uh, and then I, I went and dropped him off at the at the train station. We, you know, we're having a, just a nice chat, really, just talking about families and life, which is what I, I tended to do with with Ray. You know, at three thirty on a Friday afternoon, he would generally be on a screen, and we'd be talking about sort of where we were in the world of, of the JEC. At, uh, and around about that time, my family were always coming back from the school run. So invariably, he then spent five minutes having a chat with with uh, with Jenny or or laughing whilst one of the kids was trying to pull me off my chair or tell me about their day, etc. while we're in the middle of a meeting. And um, yeah, we're just having, you know, just that nice chat. And he was saying how much he was looking forward to um, getting out and doing some more dancing again, which he had a few things booked and, uh, and you know, and that's it. And we, we smiled and cheered him on his, his merry way and, um, you know, expecting to to speak to him early, earlier that the, the following week. So um, yeah, on the Friday morning when we, we got the news, it, it really did, it really did knock us for six. Um, it was it was a difficult one to try and get through the day on that one. It does really shake a team when something like that happens, doesn't it? Especially as we all knew him so well, we'd all worked so hard alongside him, with him, for him, in fact. Uh, I think it's safe to say, Ray, um, he was the sort of person that I don't think ever really felt that comfortable in large social situations. But as you say, he really did grow into the role of chairman over the last few years, he's been the sort of the glue that held the team together. That must be a real big impact on the office and the team down at Bristol to have that glue suddenly taken away. 
Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, one thing Ray did is he would he would drive you. He would drive you to do better. He would drive you to to um, to think of the next good thing. What was the next right thing that you needed to do? How could you improve on what you'd done before? And that wasn't to say that you hadn't done well. We haven't delivered. You know, you only had to read some of his um, his thank yous from Bister and from the, the NEC recently to to know that he understood the work and the, the value of that of that team that went into putting some of these displays on. And but he, he was ne- he he couldn't stand still. You know, we always had to try and work out what was next. Where do we go from here? And um, yeah, to suddenly now lose that that drive is it, it is going to be a, a, a hard hole to uh, to to fill and. We do have those people around us. I'm not, you know, we're not suddenly going to become um, stationary and go backwards because, you know, Ray is no longer there to drive us. You know, if, if anything, he's instilled that within the teams that we can't stand still for, you know, for the sake of our members and for the sake of the club. We need to keep driving forward and we need to be expecting better of ourselves and of the team to, to make our members want to keep coming back. So, yeah, it, it is going to be, it, it's going to be an odd. Um, time of transition to um, to work out what what the future looks like and, and how we go forward. But you know we we have a fantastic team of people around us, and um, we we will. Well, of course, I think you've summed it up perfectly there, in the sense that I think all of us are going to go through the coming months and years, and just now and again we're going to stop and check ourselves and think what would Ray have said to that? Or we'll hear his voice in the back of our mind saying, have you not done that yet? Come on, it's time to get it sorted. I think we will live with that for the rest of our lives, driving this club forward. I really do think that. And that's what he's left us with. He's also left us with this very podcast. This was Ray's idea. Here I am presenting it, producing it, putting it all together. But without Ray kicking that forward and you know making me come forward to do this, this podcast wouldn't exist. And some of the things that we're now going to talk about for the future of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club were also uh, had Ray as the driving force behind them. So let's let's do that. Let's do what Ray would have wanted us to do. Let's forge ahead into the future. Let's talk about what we've got to look forward to in 2022. And James, you mentioned there that we handed over the raffle car. That was, of course, something that dragged on actually for 18 months as we desperately tried to raise as much money as we could for Ray's charity, the Haemophilia Society. That was his chosen charity for 2020. Uh, it also turned into 2021, as it turns out, due to COVID as well. Uh, that car, car's winner was unveiled at the NEC in November, at the NEC Classic Motor to show we did the big handover at uh, Bister at uh, the British Motor Museum at Gaydon you can read all about that in the Jaguar Enthusiast magazine the first one of January in 2022 there's no raffle car next year but what we do have is a brand new initiative Colin announcing JC Track Sports and this really is the culmination of Ray enjoying track days us lot enjoying track days and more importantly than all of that the members telling us that they want more track days and opportunities to drive their cars fast yeah absolutely um yeah and, and quite rightly you say you know um ray was a big driver behind um getting jc track sport launched um you know ray, ray for a, a little while i've been pushing me to uh, to find more venues and, and places that we can run track-orientated events. So he was very much uh, a fan of that and um, 
and and, and pushing for that along with um, you know Richard and um, you know since since we've announced the, the launch of, of JEC Track Sport, you know we, we we've looking at adding to the calendar that we've already announced, which is um, Mallory Park, uh, the first event on the sixth of April, Harewood on the 26th of June, we're going back to Harewood, hopefully it'll be dry this time. Um, uh, we've uh, linked up with um, Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust to uh, go to Anglesey um, at that superb track. I mean, it, it, it's a, it is a bit of a track to go to Anglesey um, in September, but it's absolutely worth it. It's a stunning track. Um, great backdrop you know you've got the sea in the background and the snowdonian mountains is absolutely spectacular and a wonderful circuit and then we're, we're back to castle Coombe on the 4th of october you know and we're we're, we're looking at uh, adding to that program as well uh, and i think it's you know getting people as i said earlier in the podcast you know we want to see people bringing their cars out on track for the first time doesn't matter whether they're classics, whether they're, they're modern cars. You know, um, at Castle Coombe, we had an XK120 out there. We had numerous E-types um, and we had F-types as well. And, you know, we make uh, as a club provision for all of those things, you know, and, and novices. We have um, uh, arts instructors and, um, you know, very, very experienced track people to, to give support to novices going out for the first time. And, and we want to see this thing extend and, and grow. And we've got some very exciting ideas about it. Um, Swallows are going to be heavily involved with it. You know, Tom and I have been talking about um, different ideas, along with his father, Gary, uh, about some of the things that we want to, to see and, and add to JEC Track Sport. And of course, this comes in the wake of changes with the race championship as well, doesn't it, Richard? And you know, naturally, the world is changing. The club has to change with it. Sadly, we did we did wave goodbye to the Jaguar Enthusiast Club uh, GT uh, race championship this year. Yeah, the Saluna GT championship in one guise or another has been, you know, an essential part of the JEC for over two decades. And a number of people have championed it over the years. And more recently, Colin and Chris Robinson have done a great job of running that series, of which Tom has competed and won and been very successful. It may seem strange to some of our listeners to talk so much about the passion and the heritage of racing to actually then say, well, we're not continuing with the racing championship. But the the rationale behind it and going back to Colin's point about, you know, Ray's discussion with he and myself and Tom and his father, Gary, was that James was continually through the office getting communications from members asking for more inclusive programs because if you're a member of the JC, you know, without sounding like the sales pitch, apart from the magazine and the podcast and the website, there's all the forums. There's the fuel discount card with Shell. There's a close relationship with Lockton's. There's a close relationship with SNGB and our other technical partners. And all of that comes, but of course, in a time when everybody has to consider where they spend their money, we have to also consider inclusiveness for our membership. And the message that James was getting on a regular basis was, can we have more access to things where we can exercise our road cars? Because truthfully, today, driving within the law, it's very difficult to really enjoy a performance vehicle 
And we started to look at it and we said, right, we, we put a lot of effort, a lot of resource, a lot of time into the racing program. And I say this with great respect, being a racer myself, for a relatively small group of people, what we have to think of moving forward is our overall membership. And that was really behind the decision to replace what has been a very successful period of saloon and GT racing and also the more classic stuff through Hawthorne with track sport because it will enable not only our members to bring their own cars to come along and experience some of the things we've talked about already on this podcast but also through jdht and their wonderful collection of cars they they came to castle coon with a complete car transporter of vehicles they brought their f-type rally car along with only two have ever been produced and those types of vehicles the xjr15 the 220 the bond collection cars all of those things, and also some of them more modern cars, they're going to be bringing electric vehicles and other things as well, which have got phenomenal performance capabilities that can't be explored on the road. And therefore, that inclusiveness is what JC Track Sport is all about. So we continue to look back very fondly on our motorsport heritage. We continue to engage with it. But of course, what we're now doing is we're giving all of our members, should they choose to do so, the chance to actually get on track and experience it for themselves in safe hands. And of course, no track, no track day would be the same without a bit of support and technical guidance as well. And luckily, we have just the boys for that uh, that service. Of course, Swallows Jaguar, they are going to be there with the track sport program, supporting all of you guys to stay on track and offer some advice as well on on driving and preparing your cars uh, for more track use. Tom, this is right what you enjoy doing, isn't it? Really. Yeah, absolutely, Wayne. I'm really at home with this. And, and as Richard and Colin said, it's um, it's a really great package um, to offer the members more. And it's it's how I got into racing. It's how a lot of people have got into racing. Um, but also it's looking back at the racing. There's also some other objectives. We're, we're looking forward to one racing cars in other grids and that allows us to do that. Um, and with the track sport um, uh, sort of platform, it'd be great to see all the other members out there enjoying the cars. And we're able to offer technical support and to help them progress and to set up the cars differently for the track and you won't be giving up on racing but so you're not tied so deeply into a championship now so we'll be able to see you racing at all sorts of of, of, a huge variety of of events throughout the year won't we yeah absolutely like the initial thought was obviously um quite sad that we're not going to have the opportunity of running a championship looking back it's actually um widened horizons massively because we can race the jag really in anything we've got lots of opportunities next season it's actually a really busy calendar um, we're going to do a couple of different rounds with a classic touring car we can race with some of the classic sports car club venues as well and we're actually going to hopefully take the jag to some of the bigger events such as spa and do some of the british marquee races as well so it's actually a really really exciting prospect and i'm really looking forward to getting stuck into next year and as well as all of the exciting track sport stuff that, by the way, you can read all about at jc.org.uk forward slash events. Events are going to be packing the calendar out next year for the Jaguar family, Andy, because you are going to be very busy as well. What are we doing? We're starting off in Brooklands. We're then going to uh, 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 Yorkshire for Newby Hall uh, then we're ending the season in Blackpool we're doing all of these events because of course it is the centenary of Swallow Sidecars Swallow Sidecars were the very company that started off the Jaguar brand way back in 1922 in the humble streets of Blackpool where two men 
Sir William Walmsley uh, and Sir William Lyons met in the street just talking about a wonderful sidecar that William Walmsley had built for himself and that William Lyons wanted to buy. That conversation led to the formation of Swallow Sidecars, which in turn led, of course, after the Second World War, to the start of Jaguar Cars. We're celebrating that centenary. It all starts at Brooklands, Andy. It does indeed, yeah. It starts at Brooklands um, in May and then goes on to Newby Hall in August. We've got Silverstone Classic then in the middle of, at the end of August. Um, and then we are in Blackpool on the 10th and 11th of September. More information will come out in January and February on these events. But yeah, it's going to be another busy year on the event side of things. Um, and, and that's great, considering where, where we were this time last year. That's brilliant. The more events, uh, the, the better. And obviously they dovetail with the JC Tracksport events as well. Absolutely, and it's going to be very exciting to do the Blackpool event in September because that's something really different. We're actually going to be able to park our Jaguars on the promenade. We're going to see the lights. We're going to be core to Blackpool's celebrations when they turn the illuminations on this year. We are indeed, yes. We are going to be built into the uh, the Blackpool illumination display um, for, for the few months that they are on. Um, and yes, we are going to be on the promenade and the seafront at, uh, at Blackpool celebrating the centenary. So um, we're having meetings now with the council in Blackpool and with the Illuminations um, team as well. Um, and, and, a, and a big shout out to Paul Rogers, Peter Rogers and uh, David Lynn, uh, members of the local regions up there who are helping us massively with the organisation of this. Well, we often get criticised for not taking Jaguars north very often here in the UK. To most of our American listeners, this would seem very strange because you guys, you travel thousands of miles in a blink just to go to events. But here in the UK, we're perhaps slightly more parochial in the fact that uh, we're sort of divided north north and south. And uh, some of those in the south don't like to venture three or four hours to those in the north and vice versa. But this year, we're making sure that the events are spread evenly. So we're doing lots of more northern events. The Summer Jaguar Festival this year is also going to be in the north of the UK. It's going to be at Newby Hall in Yorkshire, just a stone's throw away of from Harewood Hill Climb that we were just talking about a moment ago, of course. And that's going to be a Summer Jaguar Festival with all the big hits back, all the favourites back on show. Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust, cars are going to be there. I'm going to have a microphone doing something. There'll be a moving mode to show. It's just going to be a massive party, isn't it, Andy? Well, if you're going to be there, Wayne, then that means that I've got to get the big TV and stage there for you, doesn't it? <laughs> I think so. Uh, I want it even bigger this year. <laughs> oh, well, well, it'll be the biggest in the UK, Wayne. It'll be the biggest in the UK for you, mate. Um, so we'll have that. We'll, we'll have the Moving Motor Show. We'll have all our sponsors, um, including Pirelli, Maguire's, SNG, CMC, etc., um, I think that means now that I have actually mentioned every single sponsor of the club, which I'm happy with. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll all be back at Newby and there will be um, a camping uh, aspect of it as well um, on the Friday and Saturday, which uh, James is heavily involved with. Um, and I dare say that there will be uh, there will be some beer uh, available on the uh, on the Friday and Saturday night as well. 
Well, it sounds good to me. I shall be there. Looking forward to seeing all of the members there with their cars. Looking forward to seeing who I'm going to interview as well as part of the Moving Motor Show and all of the other interviews that we'll have here on the podcast as well throughout 2022 here at jcpodcast.co.uk. That was 2021 then. It was the year in which we celebrated 60 years of the E-Type. We celebrated 20 years of the X-Type, 25 of the XK8 and 15 of the X150. It was 70 years since Jaguar's first win at Le Mans with the Jaguar C-Types. We took the Summer Jaguar Festival to Bista Heritage, of course. And... We did a whole load of other activities online. We haven't even talked about the technical seminars that Andy and Tom did. Uh, Also, some of our touring uh, tips that we put across on those online seminars as well. It has been a fantastic year with many highlights along the way. So, to each of you in turn, name your biggest highlight of 2021 and your biggest hero as well. And I'll start with you, Tom Robinson. Oh, throw me in the deep end, Wayne. <laughs> well, the um, yeah, I mean, the biggest highlight for me is going back to the to the racing side of things with um, winning the class, something I've always wanted to achieve. So that's got to be um, the number one highlight. Um, so heroes, I mean, that's that's a tough one actually, but um, I'm going to throw throw my brother under the bus for this one because he's kind of um, that title for this one because. Uh, those of you who were at the Castle Coombe track day probably remember, um, and Colin will probably back me up on this. I'm not sure if it was the first session, but Jack's actually going to be racing an XJ40 um, next year that he's uh, he's been building, and his first lap um, ended up in the tire wall at Castle Coombe. <laughs> so for me, that is the absolute top list, uh, and hopefully that'll embarrass him as well. Mentioning that, uh, Colin, yeah. So um, Hero is a bit of a bit of a left field one and not necessarily connected with Jaguars. Um, Mike Conway for finally winning the Mon this year. Oh yes, very so, true uh, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a personal one. And 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 a, a highlight um, happened at the NEC, the Maguires S Type R winning the public vote on the stage. Very good. Very nice highlight. Of course, the NEC Classic Motor Show, another event that we didn't think would happen in 2021, but really did end up feeling just as normal, actually. And we even gave away our raffle car at last as well. Uh, James, for you, your highlight and hero of 2021. Yeah, I'm sorry, my hero is going to be a bit left field as well, in fairness. And um, I I can't not mention my wife, Jenny, who's... um, she, you know, she put up with me moving the office to my house um, for the second time um, at the start of this year, and has been at Bista and Silverstone and um, and the NEC, um, booking holiday off to come and help me at events. I mean, the, the woman's clearly mad. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, a lot of you have got to know her well over the recent years, and she, uh, you know, she's a, a massive supporter of, of the work that we do here, and I, I couldn't do it without her. Quite simply. Um, Highlight again, there'll be left field, but for me, it was finally unveiling the youth section at the NEC um, and seeing the stand that they built and the cars that they brought, and um, allowing us to have different conversations with it with a different section of people. Um, Tom, um, Scarlett, and the, the guys at Swallows, you know, absolutely superb, and I'm really glad to get that one off the ground. Yes, that's an excellent new initiative for the JC. Uh, one that's really exciting actually as well making sure that we promote jaguar ownerships to new 
and younger owners and to new and younger members of this club as well. And I think we could talk a lot more about this in the future, Tom. Maybe we'll get you on for another episode in 2022 to outline the plans for the Young Jaguar Enthusiast Club uh, after that superb launch at the NEC. But I think the only question I've got for you for now on the youth section of this club that superb event that you put on at the NEC, you had wonderful cars, you had an X-Type there, you had your race car on the stand, you had the wonderful XJ6 that we're now preparing as our youth promotional vehicle for the JEC. Uh, my one question to you, though, is when you went on the night out on Saturday with all the other youth groups from TR oh, Register and from MG Car Club and from the Morris Miners, how long did the hangover last? Um, well, it it was all day Sunday for sure. <laughs> but I still managed to not be late. <laughs> I think I joined you at about one in the morning, and that still felt like the beginning of the night. <laughs> yeah, beer is not a good idea. I can that. No, no. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it is great to see the fact that not only have we launched a young members part of the club, but that you're also joining up with the young members parts of all the other clubs with other classic cars marks out there there's a huge community growing isn't there yeah there is and it was something that i was really surprised about myself um i've never really looked at any other mark been the only eye for me is jaguar but i was really surprised and as you said wayne you're a big part of that a massive close community and it was a it was a group of us that, that went out at the nec and it was it was absolutely brilliant i was really surprised and uh, um i'm really looking forward to getting stuck in there's lots of ideas we've got going for next year and i'm also really pleased um that the club are, are just letting us to do what we want james is really supportive of it and a few other members and it's and it's just great to get stuck in and to do the events that we would like to do from a different angle i suppose i'm really excited to get stuck in brilliant we'll cover all of your exciting news here on the jc podcast throughout 2022 of course tire fest hopefully will return next year where that is a big event where all those youth groups get together so we'll keep you up to date here on the podcast with news from the young jaguar enthusiasts as we continue now with andy weber your highlight and hero of 2021 well i think in terms of our a highlight um uh it's already been said but Maguire's s-type on the stage at the nec receiving the public vote um and, and plaudits from the public which i heard as part of that uh public arena that was great that really was brilliant for Maguire's and dale and the work that they've put in myself uh it has to be sitting back in a in a chair with a beer on the evening after the bister event um that, that was probably the highlight, knowing that the event had gone well um, and I could start to relax uh, a little bit. So that's my highlight. In terms of a hero, obviously, Wayne, you're my hero. <laughs> oh, he's, he's crawling now. Look, after insulting me for the whole episode, he's crawling. <laughs> after you, Wayne, um, it's got to be Colin Manconi. Um and, uh, and I know I've said it before, but uh, Colin will be sadly missed. So Colin will be my hero this year. I think that's a very, very good hero to choose. Richard West, your highlight and hero. I think my highlight really centres around what you and I do in the podcast every week. I mean, you give me that incredible challenge every week and say, who have you got in your address book that we can talk about or talk to this week? And of course, you know, we've had the likes of Tony Dow, the team manager, and Martin Brundle and Alistair McQueen, your two-part interview with my old mate, my engineer friend. But the one for me that really stands out as a 
true gentleman and a hero was our recent interview with Joe Ramirez, the former team coordinator for McLaren. Um, Joe, when you listen to the podcast, the man who came to England on the Queen Elizabeth, the original one with a, a letter of reference from Fangio, worked for every single team that was under the sun and is still one of the most unassuming lovely guys that there is out there without a side to him and is a member an honorary member of the JEC down in Andalusia in Spain definitely him and I think in terms that was my highlight in terms of my hero I'm going to add an S on the end of it and I'm just going to reach out to our regional ambassadors all of our volunteers all of our people that all play a part all of the guys like David Marks and others who contribute to the club, because truthfully, they they are the very core of what we are. And we're very privileged as a group of directors, employees, individuals, to really service our membership by being the catalyst and the pathway for all that constant flow of information. So to all of you out there that make the JEC possible, a really big heartfelt thank you and a very safe and happy Christmas. Yeah. Here, here. Very, very good indeed. Uh, I will finish then on my highlight and hero of 2021. My highlight was seeing over 300 E-types assembled at Bista Heritage for the Summer Jaguar Festival. From my stage where I got to meet some heroes, really, uh, people like Sir John Egan, people who I had heard about, read about, but now had the chance not only to meet, but to interview and share their stories with all of you via those events and the medium of this podcast, the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast at jcpodcast.co.uk. My hero for 2021, everyone, is you. You listening to this podcast. You taking the time to put yourself to one side and give us an hour of your life to listen to what we do here in the Jaguar Enthusiast Club. That's my hero for 2021, and I hope in 2022 we can keep you with us listening to more podcasts through the year to come. We're going to take a break throughout January while we come up with some new ideas to keep you entertained through the new year, but in 2022 we'll be back with more superb podcasts, I hope, from the Jaguar Enthusiast Club's global family. So until then, have a fantastic Christmas and a very happy new year from all of us here on the team at the Jaguar Enthusiast Club. Give yourselves all a big hand. Well done. That's all for this episode of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Don't forget to keep in touch with us here on the JEC podcast via www.jecpodcast.com. And you can get in touch with us very easily by using the voice recorder on there to leave us a message, or you can use the contact form if you prefer to write your messages. Don't forget, you can also join the Jaguar Enthusiast Club online by clicking the Join Today button on the top right-hand corner of the podcast page to enjoy all the benefits, plus the fantastic, glossy, 130-page monthly magazine that's all included in your membership of the worldwide Jaguar family that is the JEC. This is the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Subscribe for new episodes at jecpodcast.com.